You are now listening to Random Ramblings with Rock. Yay. Yay. If you like hanging out at Walmart, if you like hanging out in the aisles, if you like talking random stuff, random random things with Rob. Uh, random ramble links with Rob. Yo, yo. Random ramble links with Rob. Walmart talking. What random? What random? Random random Roblings with Rob. Rob 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 Rob. What up, everybody? This your boy, B-Rob, and I'm back with another edition of the Random Rounds with Rob podcast. First and foremost, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for coming back each and every week or however you listen to podcasts. If you're a first-time listener, I appreciate you all so much, especially during these trying times for trying something new. And plus, you probably locked down somewhere in your um, basement bunker with, you know, all your amples of rolls of toilet paper, you stingy motherfuckers. And um, you're trying something new um, in the audio realm and whatnot. You might be trying something new sexually, um, but that's to be told. I'm not in the room with y'all, but if I did, I would like to request to be placed under a glass table while I look up while y'all do nasty things. So if you are a first time listener, I appreciate you for giving my show a try. And um, if you're in the vicinity of the person that recommended you to me, uh, shit. That's a problem because we're not supposed to be doing that right now. Goddamn Corona and shit. So uh, air high five or you can do my alternative to where you take your social media app of choice and send them a well-crafted DM saying thank you for recommending you to me. Speaking of social media, you can find this show on various platforms to include Twitter at 3R Show, Instagram at the 3R Show, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash 3R Show and YouTube, uh, look for 3R Show. And for anything that I may have missed, because I'm doing all this off the top of my head all the time with a drink in my hand, uh, go to randomrob.com. And you can find very, uh, I, I, I said very, I put very there and I didn't need to. You can find a whole bunch of shit that pertains to the show. And there it is, randomrob.com. So joining me, I have a guest Another guest, another guest named Kevin <laughs> that happens to be a comedian. And uh, this one doesn't have a goatee, but uh, this one is from Israel. Not so much. No. All right. I don't know where I was going with that, but fuck that shit. Joining me is a man that has eluded me for some time now. You sorry motherfucker. <laughs> and he had the nerve. The audacity to be on that maroon face motherfucker, goddamn Devin <laughs> Cox's show. And then on top of that, to rub salt in the womb, him and the other Kevin do a show together called Gutting the Sacred Cow, which you should find on all your podcasting platforms and whatnot. It's a very good show. Listen to it. I haven't yet, but it's still a good show because I know either one of the Kevins. And anyway, back to that maroon face motherfucker, Devin Cox. They talked shit about me, said I was going to die because I was black. I had a lot of kids. I didn't want to pull out and I worked security. <laughs> so that's all the prerequisites to die first in a zombie apocalypse or a horror movie in general. So uh, joining me now <laughs> is Kevin Israel. How are you, sir? First of all, I'm an asshole and I'll admit it. I, uh, I should have done your show long before Delvin's. 
you uh, you were my first and only. But in fairness, <laughs> he actually went to Kevin Goatee, my uh, partner in crime at Gutting the Sacred Cow, and set it up. And then Goatee called me and was like, hey, we got to do this podcast. I didn't even know who, whose podcast we were doing. Uh-huh. And then when it came up, I, I started to put the whole thing together, and I was like, I'm going to catch some shit for this. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, <laughs> the, the, as vast as the world is, the Internet is a small place, oddly enough. And um, especially doing any kind of, um, I guess, broadcasting or podcasting, whatever you want to call it, um, we bump into a lot of same people, and we kind of cross-thread with a lot of other people and whatnot. And that that's kind of like the, one of the things that I enjoy most about um doing any kind of uh, social media such as podcasting and whatnot that everybody I don't view everybody as competition I, I view everybody as a, you know somebody to be in the network circle and whatnot you know some people yeah. you don't mess with as much as everybody else but I mean there's some that you mess with heavy especially that maroon face motherfucker Delvin Cox <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where I got that from but that's what popped into my head so I said it <laughs> so well, here we are. Yeah, here we are. I appreciate you giving me your time and everything. I've redeemed myself. Yes, you did. I I, I really appreciate it. But um, once again, I'm in. This is the theme of the show. I might even call this episode "Maroon Face Motherfucker." Delvin Cox. He took away a lot of my questions. I already know how you started in comedy. I I don't know why, but I already know how. And then uh, I already. But know maybe who, listeners don't. True, but this is how merciful of a man I am how uh, great of a human being I am I'm going to refer them to the Delvin Cox Experience podcast to where they can get all that information Wow! <laughs> see that, that that's that's how gracious of a man I am or whatever not unlike that maroon face motherfucker Delvin Cox <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so I listened to your comedy special on iTunes thank you and yeah, I mean, it's the least I can do. I mean, you're giving me your time and I, I I can sit here and bullshit with the best of them, but I'd rather have, you know, something tailored toward you, my friend. And um, I'm not going to lie to you. I already forgot the name that quick, but I did listen to it. I could point out good points and all this. The stuff struggle like, was real. The stru- yeah. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> it was plain as the nose on my motherfucking face. Uh, how simple the title is because my first question to you was going to be is that your real stage name I mean is that your real name or your stage name and you have clarified that is indeed your real name and you gave you went into the backstory how your freaking grandfather went and changed it when he came to America and all kind of stuff see I'm briefing everybody but I I do recommend that you go listen to the Devin Cox experience and get the full on because I'm paraphrasing right now just to kind of get to the meat and potatoes of things. But um, I listened to your special, The Struggle is Real. But that's not where it started for me. What originally got you on my radar and to come to know the wonderful human being that is you is I heard you on another person that we have in common, Jay Sandlin. Ah, my buddy Jay. Yes. Yeah. You were on his show, uh, What Happens Next. And, yeah, um, yeah, I had like a little, a, a, so it's a fish show. Yeah, yeah, I had a round table and everything, and what kind of buzzed my ears or whatever. I was hearing you speak and everything. Um, you was talking about your mom a lot, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, God damn! I was like, this, this, there's something here that we need to discuss, you know. So that's what initially got me to reach out to you, 
<laughs> and wanted to get you on the show because I was like, shit, man. I mean, you just talking bad like that. I mean, what, what, what's the issue? What's the problem? But then, well, I, oh, yeah. I mean, if, as as any uh, Jewish man will tell you, uh, Jewish mothers are a a difficult breed. Mm-hmm. And uh, my my mother is uh, in her eighties. Mm. And she's a a woman set in her ways, like eighty three, right? She's, I say, I would say of my act, she's probably a good half of my act. Yeah, she's contributed somehow to half of my act because she is a uh, she's 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 got her she's got very set in the things she does. She believes what she believes, and nobody's going to tell her different. Mm-hmm. And arguing with her is uh, is about as easy as moving a house. <laughs> yeah. Um. So what, what what was the takeaway for me is like hearing you on that episode and then hearing you on the episode with uh, Delvin and the other Kevin, which you should listen to on the Delvin Cox experience. Look it up on all your podcasts and platforms. This turned into a goddamn plug for Delvin Cox. No, this is great cross networking. Yeah, but um, here, uh, hearing that there and hearing that here is just like um, it kind of hit home for me not so much you know your experiences with your your mother and your parents but like you said your mother had you at 40 and my my mother had me at 40 (laughs) oh it's uh, see it can work out yeah so and for the longest of times i always thought it was like because between my father and my mother you know not together but collectively as a whole from previous relationships there's 18 of us (laughs) Shut the fuck up. No, I, I'm, I can't. We're doing a podcast. This is audio. I can't shut up. <laughs> but Ow. And I'm the 18? Yes. Including me is 18 of us total. And I'm the baby. I'm the last one. So given her age and everything and the previous siblings before me, I always thought I was a mistake. You know, and that's just something I carried with me. You know, it's like it's nothing they told me. I just kind of like, oh. I'm, the the next youngest one above me is in his 50s. Jeez. And I'm 38. Well, I'll be 38 uh, next weekend. <laughs> so Happy. thank you. I appreciate it. So I always thought that. And then, um, you know, my wife currently, you know, they my wife, my mom likes my wife, which I can't say that for the one before her because <laughs> I'm a two time loser. Um so they had a, you know, they did a deep dive because she really liked it and they was talking and everything. And my wife came back and told me, she's like, uh, your mom wanted to have you. She wanted to have one more kid uh, before she passed the age of 40. And I was like, oh, feelings and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> it worked up a lot inside you. Yes. Just like I, I got all emotion. And, and that's another thing that I'm finding you know, being separated from the military and just getting older in general, I was like, I'm turning into a bitch. <laughs> that's just part. That's part of aging, man. Just I, give into it. I guess. I mean, we we acquire a, a freaking what's that? A estrogen or some shit now? Yeah, yeah. Testosterone drops, estrogen raises, and we start crying. Mm-hmm. I watched wrestling, and I've been a professional wrestling fan all my life, and I watched a match. And it drew some emotions in me, and I got kind of misty eyed. And I was like, "What the fuck is this? <laughs> what the fuck you is going on?" Professional wrestling. Yeah, and in we can get into that real quick because <laughs> as of current, as of current, at every turn that I get the opportunity to bash this motherfucker, I will. 
The Undertaker. Are you familiar? Of course. Okay. Fuck that motherfucker. <laughs> only, only, t- only from whatever year WrestleMania 30 was up until now. Uh, before that, greatest professional wrestler of all time, greatest character of all time. Just fucking, he's been wrestling as long as I've been a wrestling fan. He's the constant in my professional wrestling fandom, but fuck this motherfucker as of 2020 because he evoked an emotion in me that was never displayed in front of my wife before. And that's like, I didn't seen kids being birthed. I didn't dag on, been through some hard shit in my life. I almost died a couple times and I never shed a fucking tear. But when this motherfucker damn motioned that like he was going to retire and shit, I fucking boo-hooed and shit in front of my fucking wife. Felt like a goddamn girl. And I know everybody on this damn show tired of hearing this shit, but I'm going to bring this motherfucker up just to say fuck that motherfucker for making me do that. And he continued to wrestle after that. And I'm just like, forever fuck that dude. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, you're a sucker. Yes, I got worked. I got played. (laughs) You did. You fully got worked. (laughs) Oh, man. I, uh, I, I get angry every time I see the motherfucker, man. I just like, ugh. Is he still wrestling? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Fuck that dude. <laughs> wow, because he's he's got to be he's sixty, right? He's up there. He is up there. Yes. Wow. Well, good for him, I guess. I, yeah, and and see, and that, that's also my my caveat or whatever. If I ever use that word correctly, I will never put a man down for making money, providing for himself and his family. And doing what he got to do to survive. I can't put him down for that. But me, as a freaking fan and a viewer, fuck that shit. <laughs> you know? Well, you know what? Didn't a rumor go around a, a year ago or two years ago that he was like sick and dying? He looks like that. So, I mean, Where I can see why. There the- were pictures on him on like social media, and people were like, oh, he doesn't look so good. He lost some weight or something, and people thought he was dying. Yeah, I mean, that's what happens when you only wrestle once a year, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, I mean, and he's and he's in sixty, and he's beat his he's beating his body up for yes, for my 40. entertainment. Yeah, he's beating his body up for my entertainment. Yeah, so he has the right to look like shit. Yeah, exactly, and he has the right to stay the fuck home too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, fuck the Undertaker as of twenty twenty. You know, anyway, <laughs> Undertaker twenty twenty is dead to me now. Yes, the dead man is extra dead. But um, to go through um, some of the things in your comedy special, you know, right off the bat, I'm going through the intro because in iTunes, where you can download uh, his uh, comedy special. Uh, Struggle to look it up on iTunes, Spotify, all those places, Pandora. Yeah, this is some of the things I looked look for. You're talking about Jesus and, the, you know, whole thing with religion and everything. The, yeah. one, the one thing that stuck out to me in that whole bit was the Jesus-y. <laughs> It's a little bit too Jesusy. <laughs> I don't know what that was. I don't know what it was about it, but it just stuck in my head, and I, I got a good giggle out of that. When you, whenever you're sitting there and you preparing this show, because this came out as of the iTunes stamp, uh, 2017, correct? Yeah. Yep. So, what was that whole process like? You know, just leading up to this moment of the night actually recording this special. It was uh, it was crazy. It was you know I've been working on that material for years and slowly you know getting it to a point where I had the whole show because I always wanted to be able to tell a story through the 
through what would be the album. I wanted somebody to be able to listen to that start to finish and get like a feel of who I am and kind of know me. My favorite kind of comics are storytellers. Mm -hmm. So I've always tried to be a storyteller myself. And uh, and that's what I like. I like going to I, I always like going to a comedy show before I was even doing comedy and walking out being like, ah, I think I like it was funny, but I also feel like I know that guy. Mm-hmm. And so crafting that material for the amount of years I, I did and I never thought I was going to record an album. I mean, no comic ever gets into comedy and goes, ah, I want to you know, I'm going to make an album. I'm going to be I'm going to be famous or I'm going to be successful. Every comic just does it because it's something they want to do. Mm-hmm. And then it just it, it either they either succeed or they don't. And it's just it's a grind. Mm-hmm. And so then when the opportunity pre- presented itself to tape an album and to have you do it in a theater and it was a whole big thing, um, it was crazy. It was crazy to me. Um, and it was a, it was a lot of fun. And it was almost like it was, it was almost like this, like a wedding, like it goes by so quickly. And then it, suddenly it was done. And, uh, you know, I was just like, was it good? I have no idea. <laughs> but uh, it's it's something I'm really proud of, and you know I've I've gotten a lot of good feedback about it, so I you know I'm I'm happy with it. Yeah, and that's kind of what I I got from it as well. Just sitting here listening to about the whole 45 minutes of it is it was one big story. It's like somebody was just you know I mean, and that's essentially what you were doing. You were telling me experiences from your life or whatever. I was sitting there getting to know you as a person. You know, yep. and you just, th- yeah, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I've, I, I have, I know I have a lot of friends who are more observational comics. I have a lot of friends who are a little darker comics and, and, um, and I respect all of, I, I respect anybody who gets up and does it and does it well. Um, but I, you know, I've always been a very specific type of, uh, person when it comes to the kind of comedy I like and the kind of way my, my sense of humor works. And so, you know, my album reflects it. And if I ever do a second album, that will reflect it, too, that I just I like telling stories through my life. Mm-hmm. And when I've amassed enough stories for the next album, I'll start telling them again. And it'll probably be about a, a lot, a lot less about my mom and a lot more about my wife and uh, and where we go from there. OK, because, yeah, I mean, that's interesting that you bring her up. Because now you say wife in what in 2017, this was the girlfriend. I was just moving in together and whatnot. So, I mean, I can imagine if there's a a second album, which there will be. I'm I'm, here. Go. I'm a a, there it is. Just the bell, I guess. (laughs) Random buttons and shit. There will be a second album. And I can only imagine like um, just from that time that you did the first special up until now, you have amassed a quite a many experiences and whatnot going from a, a living girlfriend to now a wife and you just yeah. moved too. So, I mean, so many experiences. Yeah. yeah, we did. You know, look, we, 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 I proposed to her and actually my proposal is on my YouTube channel and it's, uh, it's pretty good. It might even bring a tear to your eye more than, uh, the undertaker did. Um, that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that guy. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you know, from the proposal to planning the wedding to getting married to buying a house, we got a dog. I mean, we've done a ton of shit and there's always something funny to be found in. You know, everybody lives. Everybody has funny shit happen in their life. It's just a matter of whether or not you pick it up and you can turn it into something that someone else will enjoy. Yeah. Uh, what kind of dog you get? Uh, he's a Bernadoodle. He's a Bernese Mountain Dog Poodle mix. Oh, so a mutt. Okay, I got you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a mutt. He's a mutt that I paid way too much money for. Ooh, you paid money for one of them? 
Oh yeah, yeah, that's what we do. I don't we, know. Uh, that, that don't sound what? like a dog that you pay money for. <laughs> no, these are this is I paid a lot of money for him. You could have gotten a you could have gotten a piece of shit car for the amount I paid for this dog. No, nah, I mean, uh, didn't uh, am I am I wrong? But didn't you talk about a rescue dog? And you. <laughs> Yeah, we were trying. We actually did. Uh, you know, it, my my that actually that set ends with me talking about trying to rescue a dog, and I couldn't. They for they wouldn't give us a dog. Yeah, because <laughs> they did. And, uh, they had references and all kind of shit. They had to call and everything. Like he was applying yeah. a job or some shit. Yeah. And they uh, and then I found out that I was allergic to certain dogs, and it got to the point where it was just too hard to try to rescue the kind of dog that I would need to rescue. So finally, we just said fuck it and bought the dog. All right. Now on the opposite end of that spectrum or whatever, I had a dog. Uh, what it was American Bulldog. And that motherfucker had allergies. <laughs> That's expensive. Yes, very. That's real expensive. Yeah, because you had to buy a certain kind of food. You had to have a certain kind of wash and everything. And then they got a, the vet freaking appointments and everything. I was like, oh yeah. I don't remember being a kid and just having you know a pet to where it was just like the motherfucker lived there with us. <laughs> you know, he ate what we ate most of the time and shit. You know, <laughs> I mean, that was like, you know, another, you know, something else there. You know, he just happened to bark and poop and shit or whatever. Yeah. So, but I don't. Oh, yeah. I do we treat our dogs now completely differently than we treat. We When I was a kid, we had a dog and he was the family dog and we would let him out during the day and he would just go. We I didn't, we didn't know what he did. Yeah. He would just run our, run away and he would go. I don't know, get laid and maybe eat some shit out of a trash can and get into a fight. And then he would come back in the evening and we'd feed him and we feed him out of a, we had this big metal canister where we poured an 80 pound bag of dog food that just said dog food on it. It was probably, you know, it was probably from a farm or some shit and he would eat it and he was fine. And that dog lived 16 years. Work. And now I buy my dog food that I have to take out a mortgage for. <laughs> And uh, he eats better than I do. He sleeps on a bed. He sleeps. My dog has a memory foam bed. Wow. He's got a nicer bed than I do. And uh, and yeah, and I'm like, you know what? And he doesn't. He doesn't give a shit. He doesn't know the difference. Shit, that other dog you had had a whole nother family and shit. Like how most yeah. of the, the dads did way back in the sixties and seventies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? We were all right with that. He wants to go and bother some other people. But now this dog, like I, I carry this dog around. He weighs eighty pounds. Golly. <laughs> so I don't know, man. Because like I had a dog. The last dog that we owned, I consider that my first official pet. Because like I mean, I had dogs before then, but those weren't mine. And yeah. one of them is just like we kept it in the cage in the backyard. We just fed that motherfucker. You know, that wasn't a pet. It just stayed in the cage. You know. <laughs> You know, but this was like my first adult pet. You know, I I had him from a puppy. You know, I, I was the one that potty trained him. I fed him. I took him to the vets and all kind of stuff. And then when we had to get rid of him when I got out of the military or whatever, you know, that really broke me up. It was almost oh, yeah. on the level up there with the undertaking shit. I, I, I almost boohooed a little bit. Oh <laughs> uh, no, my! If I mean the day that something happens to this dog now, it's going to be a bad place for me. Oh no! <laughs> but let's let's segue from that because I mean we don't I don't want to bring you down with uh you know <laughs> lots of sad puppy things and whatnot. Why are you killing off my dog? 
No, no. All right. I don't want. All right. Uh, mm, uh, yay. Happy puppy things. <laughs> but um, back to the, the, the comedy special, whatever. Just, just a tidbit of information for you. Uh, I know you're Jewish. You've said it. It's in your comedy set. I heard it on a podcast. When I typed in your name, Israel, the Jewish flag popped up. I thought I'd just share that with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, that happens. And then uh, what's kind of relevant today, I, I forget what exactly what it was. You was talking about um, having a, a, your parents or somebody having a whole bunch of hoarding and shit, you know, just being yeah. extra prepared. And it was kind of relevant to what's going on now with the toilet paper, <laughs> you know. I, my folks could open up a store right now and probably sell those rolls for $100 a roll and buy a new house. They have so much toilet paper. <laughs> Word. So, but. The thing about my parents is they buy shitty toilet paper. Ah, the one ply. Ply, rough. It just says toilet paper on the outside. And so I think even people desperate for toilet paper would probably say, you know what? I'll use my hand. Now, it's funny you say that. You know, in the midst of everything that's going on, you know, I'm an avid Walmart goer. It's kind of a part of the show. And during this whole thing and whatnot, you know, there hadn't been any water in my local Walmart and tissue paper and toilet paper and all the other crazy shit. So I went, um, what, I think it was two days ago, and it's on my Instagram. And they had a couple of rolls of toilet paper and paper towels out there. And the only thing that was sitting up there was the one ply <laughs> and, and everything like that. And I was just like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, so you, wouldn't, you didn't take it? No, I didn't take it. I mean, I, I'm good here. I'm good. Oh. But it's just like, if somebody need it, this is what they got. I mean, it was just exactly as you said it was, too. It was just like six, seven. I mean, well, not seven, because they don't do odd numbers, I don't think. It was like eight rolls of toilet paper. It was a black band around it, and it just said <laughs> toilet paper. It didn't say nothing else. It, that was all it was. <laughs> that's, the, that's, the, that's the type of shit Sid Israel buys. Oh, man. <laughs> and, it's, you know, it's... it's it's crazy what what people are doing now with the with with the hoarding and whatnot. We just so we just moved into this house a week ago. But we didn't have anything, uh, and I didn't realize that pe- like what people were posting on social media. Somewhere in my head, I was like, I guess the the toilet paper hoarding is going on somewhere, but probably not, not here. here. Yeah. And then I went out to the store, and I was like, holy shit! There's no toilet paper anywhere, mm-hmm. and we actually had to have family friends donate us. A couple packages of toilet paper because we had two rolls. That's all we had. We literally moved into a house. We had two rolls of toilet paper, and we're trying to figure out how long two rolls of toilet paper would last us. <laughs> and luckily, and thanks to the kindness of some others, we now are uh, decently stocked on toilet paper. We should probably make it to uh, to April. I th- I'm hopeful. Oh, hopefully. Now, um, a couple of other things that I got down about your special and everything. It was um, a couple of the relatable things. You know, we already talked about, um, you know, the similarities between your mom having you at 40 and my mom having me at 40 and whatnot. But um, a couple of things that you brought up, which I found very amusing, was um, your talk about the titties. I agree wholeheartedly. I don't think there's a, a so much a bad pair of titties. I mean, even if there are some bad pair of titties, it's just like you see them and you're like, oh, that's some titties. <laughs> You know what? I want to quote uh, a comic who I've always loved, Ron White of the uh, of yes. the Blue Collar Comedy Tour. Mm-hmm. He has a great line. Take a drink uh, for that man right see, now. You see one set of tits, you want to see them all. Exactly. You want to see the lopsided, the, the, the yep. small, 
the ones that look yep. just like a somebody took a, a plunger and just kind of popped it off and it made a titty. Yep. <laughs> no, no man has ever had a woman walk up to him and say, "You want to see my tits?" No man has ever said no. No, no. They've all said, "Yeah, I'll take a look." Now, all right. Let me tell you about a traumatizing thing that happened to me as a child involving a pair of titties. I mean, it wasn't so much traumatizing. It was just kind of a jarring instance. All right. So Internet was just being readily accessible to the masses. I was on AOL. I got the disc in the mail. Asked my mom, can I have the shit or whatever? We had to dial up, and you know, the little yeah, okay. the, the little man running across the thing, the triangle with the eyeball in it, all yep. kind of stuff, all kind of Illuminati shit, right? So <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the internet, and I'm getting into, I think I'm about, at this time, maybe 11, 12, I'm getting around teenage years, and I'm discovering internet chat rooms. I'm talking with people. Oh, yeah across the world freaking age sex location and shit you know all that crap right yep asl oh i i did it Mm -hmm. i did it and um i meet this girl and i believe she was my age i mean i had no reason to believe that she wasn't but we would talk and she had a webcam and i (laughs) did and i didn't so i could see her and i could type to her and we can type to each other so she would turn on a webcam and we'd be typing and we just talking all kinds of shit. I don't even know how we got to the point to where we got to, but she would just randomly show me her titties. And, Good place to be. You know, here I am, 11, 12-year-old boy, like, this is great. I'm seeing titties how on the I don't know. I, I, I can't even remember. I mean, she had to be around my age, but then again, she was showing me titties, so I probably wouldn't have cared. <laughs> so, um, and we was talking and everything, talking and everything, and I for some reason, my niece was there, and is and when I say <laughs> when I say my niece, and it's weird for me because you heard the age disparity between me and all my older siblings. So me at that age, I had uh, nieces and nephews that were my age, younger than me, and older than me. I had nieces and nephews that babysitted me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so one of my nieces was there. And I was like, hey, watch this. And I would type up some shit and she, she would show me her titties. You know? <laughs> and she'd be like, oh, shit, that's some titties. And many moons later, I think I had some contributing factor to my niece currently because she's gay. And I was like, yeah, because I showed you titties when you was young. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can take credit for that. I, I don't think so either. But um... <laughs> you want to you hear a funny story about uh, oh, chat yes. rooms? Yes, go, go ahead. Uh, um, uh, around 2000 and one, uh, 2000, two, yeah, 2000, I had just started a job. I was shortly out of college and the job that I got, I wasn't, I didn't have a lot to do. So I was always going into chat Yahoo chat rooms. Yes, I didn't do AOL chat rooms. Place. I always did Yahoo. Yahoo AOL. Yeah. And I mean, they were just, they were just breeding grounds for filth. Yes. People would just go in. It was just hard. And it was, it was the wild west for the internet. Nothing, uh, nobody was monitoring anything. Yes. Nobody knew what the fuck was going on. I jacked off on accident. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I met this, so, uh, this, I would go into these chat rooms and I wouldn't say anything. I would just watch people talk. It just amazed me. It was like watching a soap opera. People had relationships. They never met. Yeah. Like just had full blown relationships with people. They never, ever met. And, uh, so this, this girl one day messaged me and goes, Hey, I always see you in these chat rooms. You never say anything. What are you, some creep? 
And I was like, I'm not the creep. I'm not the one messaging somebody just out of the blue. And she was like, well, blah, blah, blah. So we got, so we ended up talking and, uh, as it happened, she lived like 20 minutes from me word (laughs) and, but I'd never done like, I mean, this was really the infancy of social media on the, on the internet. And so, you know, I didn't have any pictures online and she didn't, nobody had pictures online. Yeah. You know, there was there was just very little information, very little. We weren't I wasn't savvy enough to ask the right questions. And so I would we just talked and talked and talked. And then finally, one day she was like, you want to exchange phone numbers? And I was like, whoa, that's yeah, that's this is a this is a computer thing. This is a, I don't want to hear your voice. <laughs> and and, and she's like, oh, come on, come on. So finally, we exchanged phone numbers and we had it. We talked a couple of times when I was driving home from work and I'd, and we had good conversations. So I was like, oh, she's pretty cool. Yeah. And then she was like, "Do you want to get together?" And I was like, "Wow, that's a big move." So, what what was the 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 time between all this stuff happening? You know, from the time she contacted you to you moved to you know voice. I'd say voice. a month. A month? A, a month? Okay, okay. A month between yeah. each step. No, 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 no. It probably went three weeks between her uh, exchanging phone number between us talking to exchanging phone numbers, and then probably a, another week for her to suggest that we should get together. Okay, okay. Right. I mean, but you got to remember now in the time of Twitter, or it's not now in the time of Tinder, this would all happen in seven hours. Yes. You know? Because <laughs> that's you what it's for. You, you would have seen her picture, and then she'd be over at your house jerking you off before the next day. Mm-hmm. So uh, so she, she convinces feet. me to get together, and she tells me, now this is important. Mm-hmm. Just because we didn't have pictures online, I asked, we asked, she asked me what I looked like, I asked her what she looked like, yeah. and she said she looked like Selma Hayek. Ooh. Now, at the time, I considered Salma Hayek to be one of the hottest women on earth. You know, it, we're going to have video for this, so I'm going to put a picture of Selma Hayek up there to go companionship with this story. And put the, put, put the good one up. She just had a great dress on at one of the award shows that was really, mm-hmm. really emphasized her assets. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I was like, holy shit, of all people in the world to meet randomly on a chat room, I meet a Selma Hayek mm-hmm. lookalike. Like, this is amazing. So the day is, so we finally decide we're going to meet up. She, I tell her I'm going to pick her up at her place, take her out to dinner. Um, she messages me the day of I'm at work and she says, Hey, what are you going to be wearing tonight? And I was, and I thought, Oh, that's really considerate. Like she wants to make sure she's dressed appropriately. Mm-hmm. And I said, Oh, you know, I'll be in a shirt and tie coming from work, but I'll probably take the tie off. And she goes, okay, well I might look a little frumpy now. Uh, my, you use that word. It automatically threw a flag up for me. <laughs> No, but so, so, so here was the thing in my naive head. Yes, I I'm thinking this girl looks like Selma Hayek. Mm-hmm. Hot girls always say they look like shit. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I, you know, I don't look. So I was like, oh, I'm sure you'll look great. She's like, ah. So I, uh, so I, you know, I drive over to her, to her place, uh, pick her up, and I couldn't figure out which house was hers. Her house was like kind of in a, in a weird position. So I get out of the I get out of the car, and I'm trying to figure out out of the two houses which are hers. And this woman comes along, this little chubby chubbier woman in a purple sweatsuit mm-hmm. one of those like i almost like a windbreaker looking yeah, suit yeah, yeah and she's walking a dog and i look at her and i go hey do you know and i don't even remember what the girl's name is we'll just call her jen mm-hmm. and i said hey do you know where jen lives and she looks at me and she goes kevin and i was like uh shit this is not Selma Hayek. <laughs> like, I don't think this girl has ever seen Selma Hayek, or maybe there's another Selma Hayek out there, but it's not Selma Hayek. Uh, so I was like, oh, great. 
sell my kayak. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was like, uh, but I was like, you know what? I, I have three older sisters. I couldn't just like get in the car and drive away. I was like, I got to do this, do the right thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, we go to dinner and uh, our waiter was a, uh, was a gay gentleman who immediately saw what was going on here and that this wasn't <laughs> the situation that I had planned it to be. And he knew that he, he could see, he just knew he was, and he saved the whole evening because he kept coming back and trying, because we'd had nothing to talk about. I had nothing to say to her. Hey, yeah. This girl lied to me. Like yeah. I'm with a liar right now. And so he kept coming back trying to like break the tension and he'd make jokes and whatever. And so we're finally, we're sitting there and we're eating and she looks at me and she goes, so am I what you expected? Mm. And I was like, uh, and I wanted to be like, no, I fucking expected Selma Hayek. <laughs> <laughs> so instead I, instead I was like, uh, you know, I never did, did this before. I didn't really expect anything. I didn't, you know, do, who, I, you know I didn't see a picture of you. How I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And she looks at me and she goes, well, you're not what I expected. I was like, you bitch. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And she's like, you're so preppy. And I was like, yeah, well, I told you I'm coming from work. I, and then I'm like, why am I making excuses for this girl? And she's like, yeah. She's like, well, I usually go for thugs. <sighs> and I was like, well, I am definitely not a thug. <laughs> and so she's like, she's like, yeah, you're not. So then we had nothing to say for a little longer. And we're just finally finishing up dinner. And I had asked the waiter for the check. And he goes to get the check. And she turns and she looks at me and she goes, so are we fucking tonight or what? Whoa. And I was like, what? No, why would we do that? <laughs> and she's like, well, why do you think I do this? And I was like, wait. And she had told me when we had first started talking that she had never met up with somebody before. Uh. And I, was like, I was like, what do you mean do this? She's like, she's like, meet guys like this. And I said, you told me you never did this before. And she was like, well, of course, if I told you I'd do it all the time, you wouldn't have met up with me. And I was like, but you know what? You know, what 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 year was this? What what you said? What time frame? It was two thousand two thousand one, somewhere right around there. Okay, so if I if I jumped in the time machine and I went back to me around that time frame, I would be in Iraq. So shortly after that, <laughs> a little uh, different. Yeah, shortly after that, I came back like around two thousand two and everything. So anything two thousand two up until maybe two thousand and. Five, maybe still they putting in time range. Anyway, anywhere in between then and the time I met my wife currently, which was uh, 2007, 2008, I wouldn't have gave a fuck. <laughs> you know? Because um, at that point, like I, I alluded to earlier, it was just like I almost died so many times. You know? And I was just like, I could have had no pussy at all. So whatever pussy is given to me, um, I'm going to take it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't taking. I know that. you hadn't been in my shoes before. You hadn't been in the situation that you was going like a mortar drop on you or some shit or whatever. So I mean, not too many normal people do things like that. Oh, look, look, man, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I would have. Uh, I'm sure that makes you very appreciative for anyone who's willing to have sex with you. Exactly. Yeah, it's just like you got a pulse in the vagina. Come, come, holler at me real quick. <laughs> Uh, let me but, see them titties so real that, quick. And this long story. So finally, I said, no, we're not fucking. We'll get her back in the car. I drive her home, pull up in front of her house. And I was like, well, this was interesting. And she turns in and looks at me and she goes, so you don't even want me to suck your dick? And I was like, nope, we're good. 
dog, I mean, this would have been a whole different situation if it was me in this position. <laughs> I have been like, we would have been in the bathroom at the restaurant. <laughs> you know what? The entire time I was just picturing Selma Hayek and I was so disappointed. Yeah, and I can understand that. The lies and the deceit or whatever. But that happened to me more than once. So by then I just like I didn't care anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> But to go back to what I was telling you about the, the thing and everything. So me and this girl was going back and forth. She showed me titties and everything. So one day, you know, same old routine, same song and dance. She, we typing and everything and she's showing me the titties. And she started, I know it's going to be a little bit delayed, but she started doing this shit, you know, with her hands. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? She's like, I'm signing. I was like, signing? Uh, she was deaf? Yes! And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and so immature me or whatever, I just kind of closed out the window and I never talked to her again after that. <laughs> so wait, you were just telling me how you would have taken any pussy you could get. No, see, this just is not deaf pussy. See, this is time period differences, though. Oh, I see. I yeah, see. With that, with that so, girl or in that so, particular. So you at 12 was much more selective. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yes, I had standards then. You still had hopes. <laughs> yes. I had a vision in my head or whatever, you know. Yeah, I want Selma Hayek to be Selma Hayek. <laughs> and she's got to be able to hear. Yes, you know. she got to hear me coming. <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> well, now the whole uh, association of the hearing um, impaired of America Alliance is going to be boycotting this podcast. I'm sorry. I mean, that was the old me or whatever. I can change. I can change as <laughs> well. Jesus. Yes, I'm not Jesus-y. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing um, that you talked about in there, you know, a- apart from the titties that I found very relatable was uh, the lady's hair all over the goddamn place. <laughs> so, today. so I'm like, I find myself uh, freaking washing clothes and everything and I'm putting shit fresh out of the dryer on and I'm like I'm itching in the neck I'm like what the fuck is this and I'm pulling strands of my wife's hair out and shit I'm like what the fuck does this even come from <laughs> I pulled I pulled my wife's hair out of my head yeah it gets everywhere it's it's amazing she she loses hair faster than it can grow back I don't know how she has any hair on her head and it's everywhere and she doesn't do anything to clean it up. It just, it, the whole thing amazes me. Yeah. I, and your wife probably isn't like a cosmetologist or anything. So my wife, you know, went to school for that shit. She's certified. So every other week is like she, oh, I want to try this hairstyle. Oh, I want to get this type of hair. You know, I'm going to wear a wig this time, you know, just trying different shit. And now I'm mean, just like, I'm paranoid of myself. Because, I mean, any man that's been in a relationship a long time or just in a relationship in general, you never want to get accused of cheating. So you in this bitch in the bathroom changing your hair every fucking week, different shades of colors and textures and shit. And then I fuck around and find a hair on me. I'm like, who the fuck hair is this? Where was I? Did I shake somebody's hand and it fell on me? What the fuck is going on? (laughs) But if she's always changing her look, that's great for you. It's like you have a different woman every few weeks. True. This is indeed, and that even goes back a little bit further before she even got on this type of kick, because she didn't always do her hair like this. Uh, she used to be a police officer. And, oh, wow. and, she, and she did uh, undercover work, so she had to like wear a wig, and that's kind of what got her into 
you know, the whole cosmetology thing and the hairstyles and all that shit. She did undercover work. So damn, she would wear wigs and, you know, kind of dress out of her comfort zone and whatnot. So she would buy wigs and all this stuff. And I'd be like, so who, who's, I'm going to name the wigs and shit. I was like, who's this? Is this Tina or Sabrina? Who, she named the wigs? No, I did. Oh. <laughs> I said, is Sabrina tonight? Who we got coming over? <laughs> That's amazing. So that was pretty fun. But out of all the things in the comedy special, the way you ended it, you ended it with the F-bomb, man. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> the F-word. Are you particular to which one I'm talking about? No, which 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 bit did I end it with? Faggot. <laughs> oh, the, the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean. It was a different time. Yeah, I know. I mean, here I am and I'm saying it here. I'm saying the F word or whatever. But I ain't, I ain't scared to say the shit because I, you know, fuck it. You know, it's a word. You know, I ain't pointing it at a particular person or a group of people. It's just a word. Fuck that. You know, I don't say the N word, but it is what it is. But it was just like. I know it was a different time then, even though it was like, what, 2017? But just to hear that word, it kind of jarred me a little bit. Even today with how hip-hop is, and I know y'all talked about it on the Delvin Cox experience, which you can find on all iTunes and all the motherfucking platforms. Um, The way hip-hop is now, that's like every other word the N-word is. And I'm just like, I don't say it regularly in speech, and I haven't said it in well over two decades. Yeah. And it's like, well, actually, I don't do that bit anymore, mm-hmm. um, specifically for that reason. Exactly. Because uh, it strikes pe- people differently. And in the joke, it's not me. It's, you know, the joke is set up. It's not me saying it. It's this hypothetical other person. Yeah. Um, who's, you know, who's supposed to be uh, hot, sort of hostily saying it. Uh, but yeah, you know what? It's, it's, uh, you start to think, and a lot of comics have gone through this, and a lot of comics have caught flack for material they've done years ago that they, you know, might not be, might might, might not do now. And and as a comic, we do have to think about what we say now, and is it going to offend somebody, and is it is it going to come back to bite us in the ass years later? You know, there's been guys who have lost gigs on Saturday Night Live and and sponsors and. Uh, uh, sitcoms, sitcom opportunities because somebody went back through their tweets and found a tweet from eight years ago yeah. where they said something stupid. Uh, James uh, G- uh, Gunn almost lost his. Exactly. Uh, yeah, you know, because he's made some stupid jokes that people said he was a pedophile. Like, so everything you say now, you have to think over 10 times and say, you know, is this something I should say? And it's funny. I, I, you know what? Actually, it's funny that you bring that up. I didn't even remember that that joke made the album. Um, but now, now I go out of my way to really just stick to stories and stuff that was in my life, because that's way if I, if I'm telling my own experience, nobody can get offended Yeah, because you can't, you know, that's my life. And it is, it is, it's, it's a very, it's, it's really a very different time for any artist, um, and in entertainment because people are number one, people are more aware people have a voice, Mm -hmm. um, and there's also people out there just looking to get you and just looking for that opportunity to say, ha see what I, look what I found. Mm -hmm. And it's become almost like a sport. Yeah. So as an entertainer, 
Um, and you know what? Probably if I ever got a TV opportunity or if Netflix ever wanted to give me a special, Netflix, if you're listening, um, that would probably come back and bite me in the ass. And somebody would say, oh, well, you know what? He said fag once. And, you know, and then I would have to come out and I'd have to do the apology of, you know, yeah, I have a lot of gay friends. I understand the community and blah, 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 blah. But in the end, it was a it was a joke. It was a joke that I wrote when I was a younger comic. And um, it always got a good laugh. But, you know, we, we live in a different time now. And it's uh, it's it's a shitty word that hurts people. And you shouldn't be saying it. Yeah. I don't understand. It's just like when people do that type of thing, not saying a word or anything like that, but like they go deep diving into somebody past to find up some drudge shit and they don't take into account. That was the climate at the time. You know? Right. Cause like, I don't know. The world is weird now. You know, I can't say shit is pussified or whatever the hell it may be or whatnot. I mean, it has changed because I think about it from my childhood aspect or whatnot to where we can sit there and talk about, uh, my dad freaking having this old Ford. I forget what kind of car it was. I know it was sky blue and he would drive around with me in the car and have a back seat full of beer cans. And yeah. we and, and we would drive around with no seatbelts and shit on, you know, and nobody thought none the wiser that that shit wasn't safe. You know, that's just yep. like the era we grew up in. You know, we didn't think about shit like that. But somebody with a bigger brain <laughs> came in and was like, hey, man, I'm looking at the numbers and people that ain't wearing seatbelts and or and or drinking and driving, they they die faster yeah. than these motherfuckers that's wearing seatbelts and not drinking and driving. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just common fucking sense now, you know, because yep. I mean, yep. yeah. it's 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 a totally it's a totally different time. And but people are, you know, it's it's a it's a sad thing because it's not just a matter of the time, but it's also a matter of context. If you go back and, you know, you see somebody's has some like a joke posted that's either racist or um, homophobic or, you know, what got whatever kind of slant and they don't and they've never had this racist or homophobic or anti-Semitic theme to their life or to their yeah. the message they've been putting out. And clearly it was an attempt at a joke. Just you, you could just write it off as just a bad joke and move on. Yeah. You know, I've I've seen all sorts of comics do bad material that didn't work and you move on. Mm-hmm. If you now if you go on somebody's page and they've got swastikas and they're talking about, <laughs> yeah. you know, six million wasn't enough, then yeah, that person, you know, we might have to have a conversation about that guy. Yeah. But somebody who tries a joke out about, you know, whether it's Jews or Asians or blacks or gays and it doesn't land and it was on Twitter and now it's going to exist forever. You, you don't cancel their career for it. Yeah. I mean, take you it know. into consideration, you know, just kind of look at it more than once before you just jump on the motherfucking neck, you know? Right. Right. And that's what I'm honestly entertainment, especially comedy. It's experimental. People are always thrown out there. Mm-hmm. Richard Pryor, George Carlin, they were throwing shit against the wall that nobody would could have ever said before. Mm-hmm. And, it's pushing boundaries. And yeah, look, I know a lot of great comics. I know a lot of great talented comics who push the boundaries and it's funny, but you, and you look at it and you go, wow, that's a risk. And then I know other comics who just say wild, shocking stuff and it's not funny, but they think it is just because it's wild and shocking. But that's what comedy and that's what art is. It's people trying to get an, to evoke an emotion out of you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Now, um, 
from your experience and everything you know me i I think of uh comedy kind of like um a sanity test sometimes to be like you know if you if your set is about you and you bringing up stuff it's just like all right am i crazy for thinking this what do you guys think or whatever i mean do you kind of feel like it's like that way because i i've heard a lot of specials to where you know uh, a comedian would dispel some information about themselves and I was like I've never had that happen to me before you know and I was just like wow he's just bringing some other shit to the table that I never even thought of or a situation that I never thought I would ever find myself in yeah well that's I mean that's 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 a big part of it that's a big part of you know throwing the throwing your truth out there and seeing if other people either relate to it or don't. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's, 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 you know, I, I have a lot of material that people come out and go, Oh yeah, you know what? I I've been there. I've done that. Or, you know, I've, I've lived through that. And then other people might not just get it. That's, and that's a, that's a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. Now, another thing that was brought up, um, I think you and the other Kevin discussed on Delvin Cox's show, that maroon face motherfucker, (laughs) um, about, differences in the comedians that you liked and i know a point of a conversation there was bill cosby yeah you i believe you said you liked him for his material and i and i think the other kevin said he didn't too much enjoy him or he didn't really get it yeah so for me um bill cosby himself greatest uh stand-up special i've seen you know i mean that was my first comedy special that i ever saw and i saw I saw him on a show that I think was, I think it was called Saturday Night Gold. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. It was a variety show back in the eighties that was on one of the network channels, uh, on the weekend. And I was a little kid. I must have been eight and I was watching it and he was there trying out some of his material that would go on to be his himself special. And I remember he did the, he was doing the bit about going to the dentist. Yeah. And when is when he, you know, he got the Novocaine and he can't feel his mouth. And I was eight and I was laughing hysterically. And I didn't even, I didn't know, at that point, I didn't even know stand-up comedy was a thing. I didn't know what I was watching. Mm -hmm. And I remember just thinking, this is amazing. This guy's just up there talking, and he's making me laugh. And I was an eight-year-old who was making laugh, and he was making adults laugh. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that you could write material that could, first of all, make that wide of an age range laugh, and... He, and again, he was a great storyteller. Yeah, he was a great storyteller. He didn't he didn't have, you know, set up punch, set up punch. He, he told stories and he took you on a ride and he made it funny and he made you feel the whole experience when he talks about his wife giving birth. And he talks about his uh, his son getting an earring or going to the dentist like you ride through this whole experience mm-hmm. with him. And he was masterful in it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And look, today's standards. I don't know. I don't know that he would be considered as funny as some of the comics now, but he was he was a real um, he was a real innovator at the time as far as storytelling goes. And as far as the way he just sat down and said, listen, I'm telling you a story and you're going to go on this ride with me. Mm -hmm. And I I thought I always thought he was masterful. Yeah. Now, what made me enjoy that special um, the most is because um, the time that I found it, I'd already been married once. I already had kids and, you know, I was everything that he was talking about, you know, as far as him and his family and everything, I found that highly relatable. 
You know, sure. it's like him just going through the struggles with his kids and everything, which I can relate to because at that time, I, and I still do, I have kids. You know, so I can, oh, I can point to some instances that's kind of familiar to what he was talking about and everything. And you know, I was in the room for my uh, two of my kids' birth, so I can relate to those experiences. So that what made that whole comedy special just like it made it real great for me and whatnot. And I can appreciate that to when you know people kind of tell their story. And they make it relatable. And also what I appreciate about some comedians to where they go through that journey, like what you was talking about, and they kind of hop back and forth between what they brought up earlier. It's like the story leads up to a point, then it referenced back to the what they talked about in the beginning, and then it comes back around at the end of the set as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a that yeah, that's that's a callback in uh in comedy terms. And yeah, and anytime you can wrap your stories and, and bring it all together, I mean, he's, he was, he was great at it and, you know, he did some shitty things and he yes. deserves to be in prison and he deserves what he gets. But does that make any of his stuff less funny? No. Does that his, his, uh, you know, especially that special any less great? No, I don't think it does. And I, I don't think, and I think the same for Louis CK mm-hmm. and for, you know, any of these other comics who have gone through terrible shit and you know, stuff has come out for them. Well, but they were still funny and you yeah. can't take, you can't take the laughter back. Now, <laughs> as a wrestling equivalent, you know, Chris Benoit, <laughs> you know, he killed his wife and his fucking child and everything, but everybody heralded him as one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. And he should be in the WWE hall of fame. And I'm just like, dude, this motherfucker killed somebody. I mean, he was a great yeah, wrestler. I don't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, well, he didn't kill somebody. He killed somebody's and himself. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. uh, I mean, despite his past accolades or whatever, I mean, this ain't something that you want to kind of trot up and, you know, present like this Hall of Fame worthy on the program and whatnot. I mean, people got on them for um, China, the lady professional wrestler or whatever. But the worst thing she ever did was do porn. You know, <laughs> yeah, that wasn't good. Yeah, the, yes, the porn was not good. I seen clips. <laughs> um, yeah, the the Chris Benoit thing. I mean, anytime you take an ath an, an athlete like that or an entertainer who's done some terrible shit and then talk about giving them an award for it, that's different. Yeah, that's like the whole thing with like with Michael Vick, and then he went and got that award, and he killed a lot of dogs in terrible ways. Um, does that does does him killing dogs change the fact that he was a great football player? No. Mm-mm. Does it change any? Should it take his numbers out of being talked about? No. Should he receive an award for it? No. Well, I mean, I don't. I know some dog shit happened, but was it his property and his people that he had under him that did the stuff? And he was just like whatever, cause. But I don't know if he did it. Particularly, I mean, I could yeah, be wrong. He shot a few dogs. Oh, very well, very well. I, mean, like, I don't yeah. know. I don't know, uh, but I just know the motherfucker went to jail. I don't know. I don't know. You should reward a motherfucker for some shit tied yeah. to that. But um, it was something else. It was another instance that I was going to bring up, but I kind of forgot it. Um, damn, what was it? What was it? Um, oh yeah, we talking about all this horrible shit that people did, and you know, people want to recognize him for it. What about motherfucking Pete Rose? He didn't do 
Nothing. Well, and that's and Pete yeah. Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. Exactly. He didn't do nothing nearly as horrible as these other motherfuckers that people want to reward, yeah. and they won't even put him in the fucking Hall of Fame. Yeah, he didn't hurt anybody. No. <laughs> he he didn't he didn't keep anybody from living their life. No. And and you know what? You look at these guys on the Astros last year, who they found out they cheated their way to the to um, World Series. The World Series. I got a little soft spot about that or whatever because I'm here in Houston. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm not from here, but like. I adopted Houston as my team because I'm from Louisiana and they don't have a professional baseball team. So when I moved to Houston, I adopted the Astros. And the first year I moved here was the year that they won the World Series. And I was like, yeah. And I was at work doing security at a building where they ran the victory parade at. And I had to pull motherfuckers off of walls because they was climbing the building and they was drunk and falling in bushes and all kind of crazy shit. So that was a cool experience. But then the here we are a couple of years later and it's like they cheated now. So they, Oh no, baby. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but it, I mean, look, regardless of, of what they did and, and, and the repercussions of that, um, getting hit by balls. He roasted isn't nearly as significant as that. No, he just placed some bets on his own team to win. <laughs> right. Right. Which you, if, if anything, you, you you'd be upset if he was pay, placing it on them to lose. Yeah, exactly. That that was the only bet from what I understand. From what I could be wrong, but the only from what I understand, he only bet on his team to win. He didn't bet against his team. He didn't bet on nobody else's team. He only bet on his team to win. Yeah, he should he should one hundred percent be in the Hall of Fame. He's in the WWE the Hall of Fame. That he's having. He's in the WWE Hall of Fame. <laughs> Is he? Yes. I believe he is, yeah. <laughs> so everybody's isn't isn't Donald Trump in the WWE Hall of Fame? Yes. And yeah. that was, oh, that's weird now. Yeah. yeah whatever. What's <laughs> the WWE Hall of Fame in perspective? It, it, yeah. <laughs> Bob Barker in there. I, I'm I'm good with that. <laughs> and uh, Drew Carey, he in there too. Jesus. So uh, you used to pedal 900 numbers, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I uh <laughs> I used to I was a, an entrepreneur at a very young age. Um I discovered uh I, I, I came upon a cache of one nine hundred numbers. This is probably back in the mid eighties when one nine hundred numbers were the hot thing to do because there was no internet and there was no internet porn. And I had no idea what I found, but I started calling the numbers and it was very, very filthy sex lines. And it wasn't anybody you talked to. You didn't get to talk to them. Yeah. You were just listening. It was like just basically auto porn. And, uh, and then I started bringing my friends over. When my parents weren't around, we would call and we would put it on speakerphone and we would listen. And then, uh, and then I started in school, kids started to come up to me and saying, Hey, I hear you have these numbers. So I said, Yeah, you give me a dollar, I'll give you a number. And so I started selling. I was making like five, six bucks a day. Yeah. And in 1985, that was a lot. <laughs> yeah, when you're when you're ten, uh, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I uh, I started. I was selling them, and then my parents got the cell the phone bill. I almost called it a cell phone bill. The phone bill, and it was like four hundred bucks, which in today's money is probably five thousand. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not good at. I'm not an economist, but. Uh, yeah, so uh, I lied, and they got the calls removed, 
And then they had to have an emergency PTA meeting because every parent was getting these ridiculously high phone bills. And they were trying to figure out the source of these 1-900 numbers. Yeah. I used to damn um, go to the pay phone and just dial them up to hear the um, little ads they would play and whatnot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We did that, too. Yep. Yep. Man, that, that's a crazy time. I, I'm recently seen a pay phone out in the wild and it blew my motherfucking mind. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't even know how to use a payphone today. Shit, I wouldn't even know how much to put in that motherfucker. Yeah, I was just right. gonna say, I don't, I have no idea what a phone. I say, I'm, I'm like, is there a credit card swipe? This <laughs> can I do my I Apple can't Pay? Put my debit card in here? Yeah, I was like, can I do my Apple Pay with my phone? <laughs> <laughs> can I Venmo the phone some money so I can make a call? <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I'm giving you some material right now. Write that down. Yeah, that's good. I gotta write that down. <laughs> so. uh what a loop with almost 20 year comedy career. Yeah. I started in uh, I started doing it in 2000 and, uh, three. So I've been at it now 2002, 18 years. Yeah. Jesus. 18 years. Wow. Word. So my question that I had, you know, just that whole span of you doing comedy and everything. I mean, life came at you from all kinds of different directions or whatever. What has been the greatest moment in your comedy career to ever happen to you by doing comedy? I mean, what moment that you've had in this 18 year span to where you don't think this would ever happen to you in your life if you were not doing comedy? You know, probably when I, when I got my album made, when I, when I, when I actually held the CD in my hand and I was like, wow, cause it, it's something I created completely by myself. You know, it's something, and I don't know a lot of people get to have that experience. Like regardless of, you know, success and fame and, you know, where my career goes, I, you know, it's been played on Sirius XM. It's been played on Pandora and on Spotify. And people have called me and said, you know, hey, I was just driving and I, I heard you like that's crazy to me. And that's an it's a really accomplishment. I'm really proud of is that, you know, my comedy will be out there forever. And uh, it's something that I 100 percent created on my own. And it was you know, a long process and it's something really to be proud of. And I think, I think everybody should try to have that moment in their life yeah. where they have something that they created that they're proud of. And, you know, whether or not it makes you famous or everybody else knows about it or just, you know, about it. I think that's, a, that's a really cool thing to be able to do is say that, you know, here I have something that I made myself and nobody can take that from you. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, for me growing up, I had, uh, you know, everybody, you know, as a child, you know, when I grow up, I want to be this, 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 and this. For me, I knew because I came from a big military family or whatever that I wanted to be involved in the military at some form of fashion. I want to be a stuntman and <laughs> I want to be a professional wrestler. So, you know, throughout my whole career in the military, because I, I joined right out of high school and I did that for 16 years because of that. I was able to be somewhat of a stunt man and I got to do a little bit of professional wrestling all because I joined the military. <laughs> so, I mean, I, and I can cross that off my bucket list or whatever. It was something that I said as a child that I wanted to do in life and I got to do it. You know, I joined the military. Good for um, you, man. And thank you for your service. Thank you for your support. <laughs> I'll tell you what, one of my greatest regrets in life is not having gone in. Um... Are you happy where you are now? Yeah. So, I mean, you made the right choice then. No, well, yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't, it's not like I wake up every morning sweating because I didn't go into the military, but I would have liked to have had that experience. And I think, 
I, I think it's something that I honestly think everybody should have to do it. Yeah. I think everybody should have to go and serve and, you know, earn a little bit of the rights that the country gives you. Man, but, you, you almost had a chance um, two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I am way too old for them to ever wrap me into it. You'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of, and me and my wife was just talking about this recently or whatever. Um, we was watching something. I forgot what it was. She she liked to watch these lovey-dovey shits or whatever. All women do, I guess, right? And um, the guy was talking about destiny. And he was like, if I would have did this at this moment, I wouldn't be where I am now. Yeah, that's true. Or whatever. And I, and I tell her that all the fucking time because like, if I was a day late meeting her when we scheduled to meet each other or whatever, you know, I probably would have missed this opportunity. We wouldn't be sitting here with another ch- with a child and having this conversation, being in this house. And, you know, I think about shit like that all the time. She don't think I do because I'm not a very vocal person with my emotions other than when the undertaker duped me, that son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> so when I tell her little tidbits like that, or whatever, she's like, oh, you a person. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. There is there is something to be said for everything happening at the time that it's supposed to happen. But, um, but no, you, it's uh, it's it's a cool thing that you got to have that experience. Yeah, and you know, I get the itch every now and then too because I know a couple of professional wrestlers locally, and I know they got some wrestling rings. I'd be like, man, I want to go jump in here, and then I stand up from my chair here that I'm sitting in, and my back and my knees go pow, 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 and I'm like, yep. nah, never mind. <laughs> Yeah, you're too old for that shit. You could go be a uh, manager or something. I don't think I'm too old because look at the Undertaker punk ass. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just I know my limits. <laughs> That's important. And it's a valuable thing to be able to say no when you have to say no. Now, you uh, talked about one of your greatest accomplishments in your 18 years of uh, professional comedian history. <laughs> um, what was one of the worst? Uh, <laughs> something that you think would have never happened to you if you hadn't done comedy. I did a show out in uh, Western Pennsylvania, which we call affectionately here, Pennsylvania. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it was a show. It was a road gig that I got booked on. It was a private show for a gun club. Oh, and I didn't even know what a gun. I didn't know a gun club was a thing. I mean, shit. And- hold on. Let me show you. Let me give you a preview. Bang. Here we go. <laughs> Camera gonna catch up to you. There you go. That's the that's the gun club. <laughs> that's more like that's well, that's more like a pistol show. You're right. Uh, You're right. <laughs> uh, but so it was. Uh, so yeah. So I drove out to this show in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. It was down this dirt road. It was basically a log cabin. It was. Uh, it was just full of folks in hunting gear, oh, and there were deer heads and shit all over the place, and. Uh, and it was me. Uh, the host was a was a was a black comic friend of mine, and the headliner was a midget, <laughs> a little person. Yeah. And uh, and the, we the three of us walked in and we're like a, a Jew, a black guy, and a and a midget walk into a gun club. <laughs> this is a joke. <laughs> and the. Uh, so my so my buddy was hosting the and he gets up. And he only had to do 10 minutes and they just immediately started yelling stuff at him, including the N word. Oh, great. 
<laughs> and yeah, and I, and he was young. He was he was definitely in his in his twenties at the time. Yeah, and that'll rub you the wrong way. <laughs> we were just, yeah, we were just like shit. And so he gets off stage, and he and he looks and he goes, "I'm leaving." And I said, "Yeah, get the fuck out of here." <laughs> so he left. But then the the guy who was headlining looks at me and goes, "Can you not leave till I'm done?" He's like, "I don't want to be stuck here by myself." And I said, "Yeah, no problem." So I go on stage. And being Jewish, they start yelling stuff at me about being Jewish and the Jews and all this nonsense. And I just worked my way through it. And, you know, probably now at the point in my career that I'm at, I would have just gotten off stage, told the other two comics, let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And we should have left. But I was young enough and I, you know, I didn't want to burn any bridges. So I just sucked it up and (laughs) took the abuse. And then I get off stage and I bring the headliner on. The minute he gets on stage, oh, <laughs> somebody in the crowd, and it's quiet for a second. I just heard somebody in the crowd yell, first an N-word, then a Jew, now a goddamn midget. <laughs> and I'm just like, where and 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 he only did he was supposed to do 45 minutes. I think he did maybe 20 minutes. And then he was finally like, fuck you people, and got off stage. He and I just left and and we left. But then the booker. So we thought we weren't going to get paid because the booker was going to get a bad call. The booker calls and tells us they loved us. What? And we got paid. Word. And I was I was I I was driving down the road. Baffled. Sweating. Sure. (laughs) I was terrified. I was sure that there was a pickup truck with a bunch of guys in white hoods following me. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've drew a couple of parallels from that story. Um, you talk about going out to a place in the woods and a cabin and everything. I went to a a strip club in um around uh it was in Georgia. It was around Hinesville, Georgia. There's an army base there. And I forget what the it was Midway, Georgia. There it is. It came to me. Midway, Georgia. And um one of my nephews is <laughs> like, Hey man, you wanna go to the strip club? I was like, Fuck it, let's go to the strip club. <laughs> and we go out driving toward midway and everything and it's just no street lights it's dark it's trees on either side of the road and then there's just this one it's almost like a dust till dawn situation almost it's just this one big ass yellow sign with an arrow pointing this way into the tree line and i'm just like what what what, what are we doing dog <laughs> i know i beat you up a lot as a kid or whatever but you ain't got to do me like this <laughs> so we go off we take the left past the sign and it's just trees uh, just cover the top of the, the freaking road and everything. You can't even see the sky. It's just the trees go up that high and everything. And we're just traveling down this dark ass path. And then it opens up into a big parking lot. And it's this building that was once a restaurant at some time. Because you can see the goddamn the exhaust port at the top. You know, like re- most restaurants have. And I was like, man, we coming to eat? I thought we was going to strip club. So we open up the door, go into the front. And it's just this one long hallway. It's almost like The Shining and shit. You know how you just stood at the end of the hallway and it's just this one long hallway? It was like that. And down this hallway, to your media left, a screen mounted to the wall playing porn. And they got porn DVDs right up under the monitor. They got bootleg Jordans on the floor. They got jerseys, (laughs) uh, some jewelry, glasses and everything all down the wall in this hallway. And then you get by midway down to the right, there's a door and a pathway and the kitchen 
they kept the kitchen going. Motherfucker was selling fish plates, uh, red beans and rice and all kind of shit or whatever. And then you finally get to the end of the hallway. You go through the door and there's like a bar area to both of the bathrooms and an ATM. And I was like, okay, so where the bitch is at? <laughs> this is a strip club, ain't it, right? So I've never been to this type of strip club. Strip clubs that I've been to before then were all on the military surrounding area or whatever. So like it was the base and off base, the town adjoined to it. They had strip clubs because they know that they're going to be baiting all kind of military people in there to come in there and spend their money. So the protocol for me in those places were I just go in there, get a get a drink. I get a ten dollar um, bill, spread that out into ones. And because um, I had to pay a ten dollar cup of charge to get in that bit. So that's twenty dollars plus my drink. And I would just sparingly throw these ones on the stage if I find a girl I like on the stage. Because, I mean, they actually came to the stage. They danced two songs. They got the fuck off. Another girl came. You know, that's how I, that, that's what I was indoctrinated to. That's what I was used to as a strip. Sounds club. like all the strip clubs I've been to. Yeah, so, that's what I was used to. So I go to this one. And like I said, I went through this long hallway, past the dinner plates and everything. And I'm going to the cash lady with my $10 bill. And she's looking at me like, what the fuck is this? And then my nephew who has been there many a times just pulling out wads of cash like, oh yeah, man, you got to have at least 20 something dollars in your hand at all times. I was like, well, that would have been nice to know prior to coming here. So I was like, let me borrow that and I get you back and everything. So, all right, you give me some cash. We go through another door and it's just another room with um uh, a chair in the corner, like a couch that go all the way around that corner. And then like booths, like old school voting booths with the curtain and everything. They got those in the other corner. I'm like, so where the bitches at? <laughs> Obviously, this is their VIP. Where's the bitches at? And there's another door in the back of that room. Big red door and this big muscly guy standing in front of it. And I'm just trying to open the door and go see the bitches. And he put his hand on my chest. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where your $20 at? Because you have to have $20 in your hand at all times. like, here, you big bitch. Look, here's money right here. So he opened the door. And all around this room, all along the wall, because it was like a rectangular shaped room, was just like school desk, like chairs almost, you know, just like what you would sit in high school. Just it just didn't have the desk front on the front of it. It's just those chairs all around the room. And there was like a runway and no strip pole. And every stripper that worked in that bitch was in there, but naked. And they were just playing music. And I was like, ah. <laughs> so I go sit down in a chair and the, like three of them swarm me. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and they're just all dancing on you and doing shit. And I'm just like, I'm throwing money at this point to get them to get the fuck off me. <laughs> I was like, here, go over there, chase the money. And yeah, I seen the lady roll up a dollar bill and insert it inside herself and work it out with her vagina muscles. It was, it was a wild night. Seen a Spanish guy over there in the corner eating a strip of ass. It was just, huh. it was just weird. <laughs> so don't go to, don't go to strip clubs in Georgia. That's no, don't lesson. go to strip club in Midway, Georgia. <laughs> Midway, Georgia. Right, right. Unless you like that, then go to the strip club in Midway, Georgia. <laughs> Duly noted. Safety tip. Yes. Very, very, very. You just um make sure you if you go now, um bring a mask and sanitizer. <laughs> yeah, well don't right. Don't be going to any strip clubs right now. Yeah, exactly right. So you have had an eighteen year 
spanning career in comedy. And the career prior to this was a, uh, I mean, that was, that's kind of a, a thing that tied you and the other Kevin together. Yeah, both had a corporate job, suit and tie yep. type of gig. And yeah, I was just like, fuck this couch. I'm doing my own thing. I mean, what 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 led you to that point? I mean, other than yeah, the so normal I stresses. A, I was a lawyer. Um, yeah. I actually was a comic before I was a lawyer. Um, I was doing comedy while I was working uh, the job uh, after college. And then uh, I decided to go to law school because um, I had always planned on being a lawyer. But I took a few years between college and law school. I took about seven years. Um, and then I went back to law. So I went to law school, but I was still doing comedy while I was in law school. And then I graduated law school. I got a job working at a law firm in New York City and uh, was making good money. Uh, I was lucky to have a job. A lot of my friends who graduated law school at the time didn't have jobs because the market wasn't that great. Um, and then after about a year and a half, I realized that this wasn't what I wanted to do. I wasn't able to do comedy anymore because I was working so much at the yeah. law firm and I just couldn't do it. So I quit law and I went back to comedy. Now, uh, have you ever found yourself so delirious between doing comedy and um, the lawyer thing, if you ever had any lap over to where you was in your one of your court hearings doing one of your sets? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? I always, <laughs> I always uh, worked very hard whenever I was, uh, wherever I was working professionally um, outside of comedy to keep my comedy career and my professional career separate. I, know. And I can imagine I being home. You know, people would always find out that I was, ah, oh, you know, I did comedy. I'd had, I had coworkers just randomly show up at shows because they were like, we heard you did this and we decided we'd, and it, you know, it would always get out, but I always tried to keep them as far apart as possible to avoid any issues on either end. And that's the same as well. Cause like I do the security gig and whatnot and I keep, the podcast and shit separate from them because that's the last thing I want to do when I go to work. I want to go to work, do my job, go the fuck home. And right. I don't want them to be bringing the shit up or whatever because I mean, they're cool people, but I kind of feel like, you know, that overly supportive type thing, whatever, right. to where like, hey man, how's the podcast going? What's this and what's this? And they're asking you questions and shit. I just like, dude, let me come here and do my job and get the fuck on. Yep. Exactly. You know, but see, that that's the interesting thing too. I mean, have you ever thought about putting your lawyer gig into your comedy bit? See, ah, see. So, your honor, let me address the members of the audience. Well, for a very short while, I had a group. Uh, we were called Com- Comedians at Law, and it was uh, uh, seven like of us. It was a bunch of lawyers or comics who were lawyers. And we, we put this little group together and we traveled the country performing and we did we were doing clubs but we also the bulk of our work was we would go to law schools and law firms who were having like retreats or whatever and perform for them i like that and and we did that for about two years uh, almost three years and it it, you know it it went pretty well we made we were doing pretty well getting a lot of bookings making some money um but the uh the people started to lose interest in the group because it was a ton of work yeah, and it ended up just kind of falling apart. Yeah, I mean, I like the sound of that. It was pretty. That sounded pretty good. But I mean, I understand if it's taxing or whatever. I mean, it kind of drained the joy out of doing the shit, you know. 
Yeah, whenever you put whenever you put a bunch of comics together and try to get them to work together, there's always going to be an issue because especially comics who are also lawyers. Mm-hmm. It's clearly that each person thinks they know everything. Each person thinks they know better than the other. There's egos, and it's it's a tough thing. So it was a uh, it, it was a challenge, but they're all very talented dudes, and they're all doing uh, well in their own right now. Yeah, I can just imagine just out of the blue, or whatever you sitting there doing your set or whatever, and one of them out of that group be like, "Objection!" And <laughs> <laughs> Overruled. <laughs> Sit your punk ass down. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, comedians and comedy and all this stuff or whatever, you got uh, bumped back off of your set by Dave Chappelle, which is one of my favorite comedians of all time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I uh, I was doing a set at Gotham Comedy Club, which is a very famous comedy club in New York. And uh, this was, I think, my first or second year. And I was getting ready to go on and when you're early on in your in your comedy career and you 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 know you're nervous the whole time before you go on you're nervous and excited and you you just want to get up there and try out some new stuff and hope it works and the the woman who's Jessica Kirsten who's a very uh, popular comic now she's amazing monster comic and she was running the show and she came up to me and she goes hey I know you're going up in two people but you're getting bumped back one because Dave Chappelle is here and I was like motherfucker and this was back this was like in 03 yeah so this was like at the height of Dave Chappelle's initial run with the Chappelle show and I mean he was bigger than Jesus at the time and uh and so and she said don't worry he's only coming he's doing 10 minutes just trying out some new stuff and he came and he did, I'd say he did at least 35 minutes and destroyed for 35 minutes. And then got off, walked off the stage, walked past me, looked at me because I was clearly waiting to go on and said, good luck. And then just kept walking. <laughs> and I, uh, I ate my dick for 10 minutes or eight minutes, however long I had there because who wanted to listen to me? This random kid who's been doing comedy for a year and a half after they just saw the biggest comic on the planet. Exactly. Oh man, I, I, I can I can hardly imagine. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a cool story, and Dave Chappelle is a monster comic, and it was it was awesome to get to perform on the same stage as him. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a once in a lifetime comedian there, man. He's just like yeah. somebody that went virtually unknown. I mean, he did shit. Prior to the Chappelle show, because I mean, I can remember some of his stand up. He had um, a couple of appearances on Def Comedy Jam when that was a thing. Uh, the movie Half Baked, the movie Screwed. Um, yeah, exactly. One of my favorites. Um, and, you know, a couple of cameos and some movies that you wouldn't have forgot that he was in, like Con Air and shit. And, yeah, he was great in Con Air. Uh, Blue Streak or whatever. And, you know, he was. He made the rounds, but like until the Chappelle show dropped, it just like his shit just skyrocketed from there. Well, that's where he really got to be himself, be himself. Right. And and, you know, throw his talent out there and do and be as creative as he wanted to be. And and that's when you really got to see his genius. Yeah, I cannot find it anywhere I and mean, probably because i'm not looking hard enough it was one of his older stand-up specials or whatever this was the very first thing that i ever seen dave Chappelle in because i used to um flip through hbo on showtime when i was younger just you know at random because you stay up because you all hopped up on mountain dew and shit as a kid <laughs> and um i would catch different um comedy specials that would pop up and his was one and he had this whole bit 
about him uh, taking mushrooms for the first time. And, you know, how you was talking about storytelling and everything. He just took you through a whole journey about, you know, he took the mushrooms at uh, 635. And then he just, you know, went on about his day like he was smoke weed. You know, he smoke a blunt. He would do his normal routine. He would go get a haircut, you know, do this thing, go see a movie, a whole bunch of shit. So he said he took the mushrooms and he was just recounting all his experience that he had from 635 and he just like he did a lot of shit he went to the barbershop he's talking about that experience there because i don't want to give away the whole bit is i'm doing it uh, injustice you know paraphrasing it this way and he just said a whole bunch of shit he's like he took a shower he took a nap and he woke up and it was 636 <laughs> <laughs> you know so and that was the first my first exposure to Dave Chappelle, and then ever since then i just been that guy's got something Oh, he's he's brilliant. Yes. So if I, I need to find that again, because uh, every time I think when I think Dave Chappelle, I don't think about half baked Chappelle show and all that. I think about that one special the first time I seen that motherfucker. I gotta go find that bit too. If you find it, send it to me. Yes, I will. Because right, uh, damn it, shit, I done brought it up too much. Now I gotta bring. Fuck, I gotta find it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but um, shit, man, you got so much uh, life experience between your last special and to what the next special will be. I say will be because it's coming out motherfucker. And um, what are you most looking forward to making this next project? Um, You know, just putting, putting the, putting the whole story together again, getting to, getting to see how that all comes together. Cause as you write material, you don't necessarily have a plan for where it's going to fit. And then slowly as it starts to fit together, you start to go, oh, yeah, this fits in with this. And, you know, you, st- you kind of start to see it. And so just just the process of ri- just the process of writing and getting new material and getting it to work. And I that's really that's the, the best part of the business. Mm-hmm. So hopefully I'll uh, hopefully I'll be able to have something together in the next couple of years. Don't say years. <laughs> <laughs> but I know you got to perfect it because I know it's not just damn. It's time, man. It's yeah, time. I know you just can't write the shit down on paper. Like, all right, I'm ready. Let's go. Yeah, um, I wish. I wish. A lot of field testing and whatnot. I understand. Yep. Um, but my last two questions. Um, what do you feel is your most improved skill out of all the time you've been doing comedy? Because I know it's not just one aspect of the craft. But what do you feel is your most improved skill out of the whole thing? Definitely stage work, um, crowd work. That is when you're, uh, you know, you're at, the, at these different shows. Um, a lot of times, the crowd loves to be interacted with, yes. and it's it's intimidating when you start off because you're already worried about your own material, let alone what the crowd is going to throw at you. And um, over the years, I've I've developed very very uh, strong uh, crowd work, um, and it's it's my favorite part because. Doing your act over and over again, it it stops being as fun. Mm-hmm. But being able to work, interact with the crowd, and create comedy on the spot—that's that's always a blast. So that I think that's you know I went from being terrified to doing it to loving it. Word, cool. So my last question: Do you have a small sample of what's to come? In your next special, do you? Ha- I know you're still working it out. You got some stuff you putting down, but do you have a little sample that you can give us to tide us over until then? Oh, you're gonna put me on the spot like this? Of course I am. Um, 
to have a small sample. So, uh, or at least something for us to look forward to, just like, you know, a concept. Um, you know, I started talking about, uh, since we just, you know, bought a house, um, and I'd never been through the house buying process before. I was really surprised by the, the process and, uh, how it starts to really warp how you look at, you know, cause you, when you're buying a house, you spend so much time going into other people's homes yeah. and you start to judge their homes <laughs> and, and their lives. You know, you start walking, you know, open people's closets and you're looking in there at their shit and you start, you forget that you're looking at a house and you just start judging the way these people live. Like, yeah. I can't believe, you know, look, they, they, I can't believe they eat this. You look in their cabinets and you go, oh my God, these people eat all this shit. <laughs> and, and after a while you start seeing all these houses and then suddenly you go, oh, I'm, I, I gotta, I, I'm trying to find somewhere to live. I'm not just, this isn't the American idol of how people live, how people live. Yeah. And, uh, and we were, uh, we were on one, uh, house hunting excursion and our realtor took us to see eight houses which if you've ever gone house hunting oh, yes. eight is way too many exactly for one day and, at least either yeah and by the by the sixth house i couldn't even remember the houses we saw and you st- you start to think you're suddenly an expert on houses and ho- and you know that you know how things should be decorated and how things should appear and you start to judge every after a while you start to go into rooms and just start judging like ah you shouldn't put that there you say, why would they do this and afterwards we went to get something to eat after seeing all these houses and i walked into the bathroom and i was like Ugh, look at this place it's disgusting <laughs> with a urinal and uh who puts a urinal anywhere what is this a bar and yeah we were at a bar yeah no shit so that, <laughs> that is what it should look like so uh yeah, that's a that's a little bit of what I'm working on right now. Word, word, I, very relatable because we, me and my wife went shopping and we got this house that we're currently sitting in right now. So I mean, just based on what you told me or whatnot, you've seen multiple houses before you settled on the one you got, correct? Oh yeah, a so, lot. <laughs> so my speech to my wife because this is my second time, you know, going through the home buying process. This is her first time. First thing I told her was like, we got a couple houses on the list. Don't fall in love with the first one you see. Yep. This is the first house that we saw that I'm sitting in right now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that went. I was just like, we came here. She walked around and had everything that she said she wanted to put in a house. She's like, I want a pool. I want to make a theater room. As I currently sit in the theater room and the pool is in the backyard. So that was the first house we saw. And um, I was like, oh, I mean, all right, cool. I- I'll put this one at the top of the list. We still got two other houses to look at today so we made it to the other house we wasn't even there five minutes she's like i like the other house i was like fuck (laughs) okay (laughs) the best laid plans man yes Uh, jesus scuffs at your plans he said that's too (laughs) jesus-y don't be too jesus with me yes exactly well my man I appreciate you finally making your way over yonder, you know, chatting with me a little bit and whatnot. And I appreciate your time as. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on and, and being patient with my terrible schedule and uh, and yeah, and, and checking out my album. And uh, hopefully your listeners will check out The Struggle is Real on iTunes and everywhere else. Yes. So uh, before you leave, let everybody know where they can find you on social media and all your other projects. Yeah, you can find my uh, my website is kevinisrael.com. You can find me on Twitter at Kevin Israel, Kevin Israel underscore NJ, on Instagram at Kevin Israel Comedy, on Facebook at just Kevin Israel. Um, 
and yeah, the struggle is real on iTunes and my cat, my calendar's up on my website so you can find out where I'm going to be there right now because of this nonsense that's going on. Pretty much every comedy show has been canceled, Mm -hmm. but hopefully we're going to bounce back from this and uh, get out there. Fine. If you're, if you're listening to this while we're still quarantined, um, go online, buy a comedy album, pay for somebody's comedy special because a lot of us comics aren't making money right now and, uh, and we could use the help. Pretty please. With sugar on top. Absolutely. Yes. So as it is with every guest of the Random Rounds with Rob, the door is open for you to always come back and to, you know, plug your next big thing, uh, premiere that new special that will be coming out. Yes, sir. Or, I'll be back. Or just to shoot the shit. Hell yeah, man. This was fun. I appreciate it. And that was finally Kevin Israel. Um, I was going to say Kevin number two, but I don't know which uh, one is older, him or Kevin Goatee, his uh, partner on the podcast Gutting the Sacred Cow, which I never uh, asked when he was on the show, him or Kevin, uh, their graphic for their podcast. If you search on Podbean, iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever they got the show published, their cover art is cropped off to the left so gutting is it looks like utting you don't see the G up there and half of the U and it's uh, horribly cropped off center and it, and it bothers me a little bit I, I, I wasn't thinking about it in the moment when we was jaw jacking but uh yeah <laughs> fix your shit um, it was uh, great to unpack a little bit i mean you got to hurt got to hurt Ooh, shit it's the corona <laughs> you got to hear some of my uh same old musings and whatnot for those of you who've been listening to the show for a while uh untake it on my goddamn nerves and um a couple other uh <laughs> that, that was the bottom line untake it on my goddamn nerves fuck that dude in 2020 but um yeah it was great to finally have him on the show great to talk with him um, I look forward to his new comedy special when it comes out. And uh, yeah, we got got to wait and see. But yeah, man, uh, we, we still uh, iffy around here, you know, with the, everything that's going on in the world and whatnot. And uh, I don't even know what to say about this shit. You know, just wash your goddamn hands. I wish I could stay home from work. <laughs> I'm kind of considered essential personnel. And um, and if I do stay get to stay home, I, I hope I can get paid. That would be a doubly bonus and perk and whatnot. I don't want to get sick and get other people sick in the uh, service of my job. But, yeah, you know, if it's my time, it's my time. I hate to look at it that way, but this what it is, though. Um, on a lighter note, we approach uh, the end of March, which is my uh, birthday, March 29th. And uh, we are still taking in questions for Ask Miss B-Rob. That's the once yearly show to where my wife comes on and she answers questions from you all. Already got a couple here saved on Twitter and my DMs and whatnot, but we need more. I think last year we got 22 questions. I don't even think we got near as much this time, but you know, I hadn't really been pushing it and bugging people like I did 
the previous three years. I got a lot of shit going on, man. You know, it's a pandemic. I'm out there in the wild trying to find toilet paper and hand sanitizer and goddamn whatever. <laughs> you know, so it be what it be. It is what it is. And um, yeah. Oh, uh, another thing that I want to bring up, man, that I'm really proud and excited about, whatever, Black Rambo ammo is taking off. And it's, uh, I guess, because, you know, people scurred, you know, they uh, fear mongering and hoarding and all this other bullshit. So a lot of the guns and ammo have been getting bought up and just so happened you know my man started his ammo business black rambo ammo and this shit go down and then like the demand for the shit is through the roof so he done sold half of his shipment and he got a new shipment in and he trying to work that down and i think one of um, his things with that selling all the ammo or whatever he said if he can sell his whole entire shipment he is already on the second half that he would fly two people to new orleans and you know pay for everything and you come hang and chill with black rambo but you know, with everything going on, I mean, I don't know when when the winners can uh, cash in on <laughs> the flights and all this other bullshit. So, um, hopefully, all these things clear out and work itself in the favor of uh, everybody. So, yeah. So, on top of his uh, ammo selling out and, and you doing well and everything, Black Rambo ammo was purchased by Rambo himself goddamn Sylvester Stallone bought him some uh, ammo some black ramo ammo out there and uh, I think it's uh, Burbank guns and ammo out there in California or whatnot. so Rambo endorses black Rambo <laughs> oh man I couldn't believe my eyes and shit I thought it was like a cosplayer or some shit and then I went to Sylvester Stallone's uh, freaking Instagram and yeah that's that motherfucker you know I'm I'm happy. I'm proud. I just, you know, it's fucking amazing. You know, dude took his dream, made it a reality. You heard me speak about it a couple episodes back. And um, it's, it's great, man. It's fucking awesome. Give him a round of applause on that. And uh, boo the undertaker. Boo this man. Yeah. Sorry, motherfucker. <laughs> but I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, we got a crowdless WrestleMania coming up. It's going to be two nights now. And um, I'm just interested to see how that's going to look. Because I had a ticket to go to Tampa to uh, check it out. But, you know, things happen. So I got the refund on the freaking uh, actual WrestleMania tickets or I'm pending the refund. And then um, now I am just waiting to get the freaking plane tickets and all that sorted out. So, yeah, I, I was about to freaking pull the trigger on a hotel and a goddamn rental car and all that shit. I, I'm glad I didn't, you know, that have been more refund pending and bullshit I would have had to deal with. But anyway. Once again, glad he joined me on this edition of the Random Rounds with Rob. Unfortunately, I'm working this weekend, so I'm trying to hurry up and 
chop this up and put it out because I got to get up early in a.m. on a Sunday and go do work again. And, you know, I'm usually off on the weekend. I'm out there flying my drone and all kind of crazy shit now. But, you know, got to pay these bills, homie. So uh, hit the sponsors real quick after I plug myself. Uh, not to say since um, I got Blue Chew, that's what I've been doing. Ugh. But <laughs> um, you can follow me on Twitter at 3R Show. You can follow on Instagram at the 3R Show. You can follow on Facebook or like on Facebook. Uh, look for 3R Show or search the Random Rounds with Rob. Uh, YouTube, 3R Show. And for anything that I miss, go to randomrob.com to where you can find many different ways to help support the show. Um, merchandise, which I might be doing a sale here pretty soon for the end of the month, you know, my birthday time frame and whatnot. Um, Amazon links, um, freaking Patreon, dollar a month or do, or you can just give cash sparingly through uh, PayPal and Cash App and all that shit. And um, you can check out the sponsors, Hooks, Rubs, and Spices. You go to hooksrubsandspices.etsy.com. And you can find uh, some deliciousness to rub on your quarantine meats. <laughs> Not saying that the meat is contaminated, but the meats that you eat while you lock down in your crib and whatnot. Um, they made a joke earlier that, the, you know, all the meat and everything was missing from the stores. You know, people are hoarding it up and buying it all up, but nobody buying no goddamn seasoning. And that's a uh, tragic. You just eating just rubbery ass meat and shit <laughs> no seasoning no spice on that bitch but uh hooks rubs and spices can get you done go to hooks rubs and spices com. use promo code random get 15 percent off your order go to poddex.com is a tool to lighten the load of your um, y- your thought process and your podcasting work and shit i don't know what the fuck i was doing but go to poddex.com you can get 10 percent off your order this is some amazing tools to put in your toolbox to help you uh reach new heights and you know keep the podcast interesting and whatnot i don't have my cards in front of me i actually do i just don't feel like dicking the bitches out right now but um go to poddex.com get your 10 percent especially right now man you probably bored as shit you might want to just nag on, whip out a deck of these cards and just start answering some of the questions, you know, with, in the house by yourself with your family or whatever the case may be, just to have something to do. And you can go, you know where. You can go to motherfucking bluechew.com. Get you your first order free by using the promo code random just like on hooks rubs and spices you can use promo code random just like on pod decks you can use promo code random all for savings and here on bluechew.com you can get you that ooh for your goo <laughs> you know i mean we all quarantine we all locked down it doesn't matter if you you know locked down with your significant other side chick or whatever the case may be and uh got shit to do but fuck baby uh quarantine and chill that's what it is and then if you got the coronavirus and you're waiting your 14 days it doesn't matter because whoever locked down with your day fucking probably got it too and i don't think people fucking with the coronavirus is gonna make it any worse you're just gonna be rubbing contamination all over your face neck and chest <laughs> but uh blue chew will get you through these trying times baby and uh like i said use that promo code random and get your first order free. Only pay 
$5 shipping. Yeah, so Blue Chew, Poddex, Hooks, Rubs, and Spices. Hit them all up. Use promo code RANDOM for all the goddamn savings. And um, before I go, one more thing. You know, I've been trying to get the hell out of here for the longest. But um, the best way that you can help support this podcast and any other podcast that you listen to, I haven't been saying this in a while because I got so much on my mind and shit going on. But um, write reviews. Currently, I still have five motherfucking reviews to go so I can hit my goal of 100 before my birthday, which is March 29th. As of this recording, uh, we are sitting at March 21st. So uh, we're danger close, as we would say in the military. So um, if you could send that, uh, here we go. That was the wrong answer. But if you can uh, show some support and throw a couple of reviews my way, those last five, we can hit the goal of 100 pod, Apple Podcast reviews by March 29th. That's your free gift to me for my birthday. And it's a great way to support this podcast and any other podcast you listen to. So with that being said, I'm done and I'll see you next time.